Hey friends, welcome to Ask Pastor. If this is your first time tuning in, this is our bi-weekly podcast where we ask Pastor Marco questions that you guys send in to us, whether it's through email, social media, or through our app. And this week, we're talking about scripture. What do some specific scriptures mean? And what do they not mean? Did the church remove scriptures from the Bible? What does the Bible have to say on some very pressing issues in our world right now, like sexuality and abortion? We've got a lot to tackle today. So with all that being said, let's get into it. Hey, we want to pop in right quick. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just let you know. Just to let you know. Hey, welcome to Ask Pastor. We're here at the beach, if you can't tell. We're outside. It's a beautiful day. Just a little bit windy, but we're going to have a great time. Got some great questions. Pastor, you ready to jump in? First of all, can we just recognize how beautiful New Bedford is? Facts. You know, people don't give it enough credit, man. You need to come out yeah. and look at the beautiful place in New Bedford. I just want to give New Bedford a shout out to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, let's do this. Sorry, my phone's acting up. If a Christian couple who participated in sexual sin with each other in the past decides now that they both want to walk in sexual purity, will God still be present in the relationship and blessed even though they originally sinned? Absolutely. You know, all of us uh, are on a journey. And so when we meet Christ, right, Christ takes us as we are, yeah. right? And he begins to now mold us and shape us into he created us to be. And that's part of what repentance is, right? Repentance is turning away from our sins and then submit to his will and to his purpose for us including the plans that he has for our sexuality yeah. which was always to bring a man and a woman together and that they would become one through the process of of marriage and, and then they they uh, consecrate that marriage through sex right yeah. and it's a it's a holy thing it's a righteous thing so yeah I think that person those people can repent and start you know like I just did a wedding recently that, you know, these are people that were in the world, you know, uh, but they since have given their life to Christ, they consecrated themselves and they they refrained from having sex until they got married again. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's a matter of really true repentance and letting Jesus really take control of your life and control of all parts of your life. You know, when you get saved, all of you get saved. Yeah. You know, so trusting that he does that work in you to transform you and then to redeem that part of you that was misused yeah. before you know him. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think there's two narratives to this question, too. There's the Christian couple who's married, but also the couple who's dating. Yeah. What would you say to the couple who's dating? Well, I would say, like, I hope you're dating with purpose, right? Mm -hmm. If if the purpose is marriage, then then it, it, it should even dating should be submitted to the will of God and to the, the purposes of God, right? And so I would say like if the moment you get saved, your entire life is submitted, including how you date, how you relate to people. Because if that person you're dating, if it doesn't work out, hopefully uh, you guys can move on and not have any deep regrets mm -hmm. about taking certain steps that you shouldn't take when you're just dating. Yeah, You know what I mean? Again, marriage is... A consecration between two people who have said yes to God through the covenant of marriage. Mm, yeah. I mean, sex. Yeah, yeah. Because I've heard it framed this way. If you start off on the wrong foot, it's going to mess you up throughout the whole thing. Absolutely. And there's consequences, right? We don't, we don't, like God forgives, but there's consequences to 
when we don't submit to his will and to his purpose, mm. when we kind of take matters into our own hands and, yeah. and get ahead of him. So I, I, I do believe that, especially when it comes to, we talked in depth about this last time when we talked about sex, mm -hmm. you know, so maybe they can go back and, and watch the previous one where it was specifically about sex, because yeah, yeah. we, we talked in depth about yeah. the consequences of sex outside of the will of God, you know, and also um, when we allow things to, to, to take place where God's not co-signing it, mm. there's a price to be paid, you know, yeah. and sinning against your body uh, Paul says is one of the worst types of sin mm -hmm. because you literally violated your own body that God gave you. Wow. But again, go back and rewatch. Let's talk about sex because we went in depth on that. Yeah, yeah. In conversation, I informed a person my four-year-old child had died. In response, I was told I must have sinned. I was devastated to think I was the cause of my daughter's painful death. Could you explain about the sins of the fathers, what it means and how it applies in the death of my child. This conversation has tormented me for 40 years. First of all, that's just wrong and messed up that someone would, would say that to somebody, yeah, you know, because that's a very uh, delicate thing. Yeah. And also, I think that's that's someone overstepping their place Come because on. so you know for a fact that this person sin is the reason why this kid died. Mm. Like only God oh, knows. That's right why certain things happen, you know what I mean? So to play to play God is a very dangerous place to be. Yeah. As far as like the whole like sins of the father thing, uh, scripture is very clear on that. God said, I will no longer hold anyone accountable for, this, for the sins of their fathers or mothers, right? That each person is accountable for their own. Especially a four-year-old, like what does a yeah. four-year-old know? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think, I think it's sad that someone would say that to someone uh, because that's a place that only God knows that's right. why that happened. You know what yeah. I mean? So I would never play God yeah. and, and tell someone this this happened because of this, because I don't know that. You yeah. know, I do know this. We live in an imperfect world where, unfortunately, uh, kids die. Yeah. You know, but I trust a loving, merciful God that loves that kid mm. as much as as the mother or the father does. But I also trust that some things are beyond my understanding and comprehension of why certain things happen. Wow. And that God is not going to punish a kid because the, the, of the sin of of the mother or the father. Yeah. Uh, that that's not scriptural, and right. it's it's not our place to try to play God in people's lives. Yeah. And how would you respond? So let's say if we were in real time in this moment, how would you respond as a person hearing that to you? Like, how would I respond? To, yeah. To that? So if someone's telling you it's because of your sin that your child died, how do you respond in that moment? Yeah, or how do you forgive as well? Well, like I said, I, I would never play God. So I would say that to that person. Like no one knows, no one would know for a fact why a tragic situation like that happens, right? And when I study scriptures, there's nothing in scriptures that says that. If anything, scripture says goes the other way, you know, with the grace of God being for each and every person. Yeah. And as a child, uh, like a four-year-old, right? I have to trust that only God will be able to answer that question. Yeah. So again, yeah. it, it it saddens me when someone tries to play God in another human being's yeah. life and say things such a matter of fact. Yeah, you know, we have to be very be careful with those things because sometimes it's better to say nothing. Yeah, than to try to conjure up something. Yeah, you know, when Job was going through his stuff, all his friends. <laughs> said, right. Job, you must have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. You must have sinned. That's why you're going through this. Yeah. In the end, 
God was more mad at those guys than he was at Job mm. for that because mm. God knew that this wasn't because Job sinned. Yeah. Uh, Job is going through life and, and the enemy is, is, is testing him, uh, tempting him and mm. the enemy is trying to ruin him. That's right. So we don't know what the behind the scenes situation is, but we know this, that God was mad at the friends of Job for concluding that Job must have sinned. Yeah. So we best be careful with our advices. Yeah, man, that's cool. so good. What are your thoughts on abortion? What does the Bible say? And how can I defend my faith in a conversation about abortion? It's a pretty hot topic right now with yeah. Roe versus Wade. So scriptures from the beginning says that life is a gift from our creator, right? From the beginning, God created us, right? And then what's amazing to me is that God created us with the ability to, to, to create, right? It's one of the most powerful things about being a human being, like that God created us to to create right also scripture is clear that for for the believer the creation it's it starts a at the beginning right at conception it's not when the child is born it's like no the moment that that the egg and that sperm uh come together mm -hmm. there's a life there that's right and, and that life is separate mm -hmm. from the mother that's right, right. it's amazing it's, it's powerful amazing. And Psalms 139 says, like, the Lord formed me, my mother's womb. Before they had the scientific understanding, right? Yeah. They already had that revelation. Yeah. Crazy. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God told Jeremiah, like, I formed you in the womb. Mm -hmm. And I had a plan yeah. for you in the womb. Mm -hmm. So that shows me that the life starts right at conception. And that God has a purpose and a plan for that life. Mm -hmm. Even before we even know if it's a boy or a girl. Yeah, right? Yeah. So that's that's really uh, the, the the argument of, of the believer is that life starts at conception. It's clear throughout scriptures that, that that it's not up to us to determine the life of a human being. It's very sad uh, that we're making this about women's rights and all those other things. But the reality is, um, we have the power to create, you know. And then when we're choosing not to, we're terminating a life. Yeah. You know, we can call her a fetus, but a fetus is a life. Yeah. You know, and that and that fetus develops and becomes a baby, you know. And so to me, it's a really sad day that we live in yeah. where we're not really seeing life for what it is. A beautiful thing. You know, obviously there are situations where, you know, a mother's mother life may be in danger mm -hmm. or a kid may be in danger. Those are very delicate situations. Yeah. But for most part, we're talking about abortion just from a place of choice, mm. right? Just from a place of like, it, it may not fit my lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and sometimes people just use the little, the the smaller percentages of of the bigger picture, which is like, people talk about rape or incest. Mm -hmm. But those, I've done some 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 research. Those seems to be very 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 small percentages oh. of the bigger picture. Yeah. The bigger picture is people feel inconvenient, mm -hmm. and so why inconvenient my life and my future yeah. where I can have an abortion, sad. which is a very sad way. Yeah to approach this. Um, so yeah, I think life begins at conception and who, who am I to determine uh, the, the existence of another human being? Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. I have a friend who was a youth pastor and his journey is crazy because his mother was raped, yeah. you know, but his mother chose to keep him. Mm. And today this man is a man of God making a difference in other people's lives. Mm -hmm. You know, even in that situation, God can redeem that situation and use it for His glory, you know? 
So again, it's it's all a matter of our worldview. Yeah. You know, do we value a life from the womb? And if we don't value life from the womb, then when do we value it? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and who gets to decide what is a life? That's right. You know what I mean? So I, I think it's a very sad situation that we find ourselves yeah. in as a society. Yeah, I read a story that was talking about a professor who went into a class and asked them, or told them this, they had a father and a mother had two illnesses. The first kid had an illness, second one passed away, the third one had another illness. And she was pregnant with the fourth, and he asked, would you abort this child? And all of them said yes. He says, well, congratulations, you just killed Beethoven. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty, pretty insane. And then think about this, right? Because I've heard this, this as well. It's like, man, could it be that sometimes God is trying to birth the next guy who comes and and he becomes the, the kid that that develops the cure for cancer? Hmm. And maybe we aborted that kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we don't know what life we're taking away yeah. because we decided to Come play on. God. Come on. We decided that we have, you know, it's again, we're, we're talking about it just from the standpoint of, you know, rights and rights. Yeah. But it's like, man, what a sad way to look at the beauty of creating mm. a life. Yeah. You know? Wow. I was asked what denomination New Life Church is from a friend who just recently started attending. But I didn't know how to answer that question. Could you elaborate on that? Pastor sometimes mentions as he's preaching, quiet in this Baptist church. <laughs> Would like to give my friend a response. Yeah. First of all, quiet in the Baptist church is just a joke. <laughs> you know, uh, to all my Baptist friends out there, you know, we're like a very quiet church. Yeah. A little background on church history. First of all, you don't find denominations in scriptures. Mm -hmm. Denominations are man-made. We created denominations later. Like you can search the entire scriptures. The church was birthed in Acts. It's all about the church of Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. The gathering of God's people. Mm -hmm. um, so denominations not found in scriptures. Denominations came into play later on after actually the Reformation period uh, before the, for the first 15 centuries of the church. Uh, it was just a Catholic church. And the word Catholic meant universal. Like we're all one church. You know, it didn't become the Roman Catholic church until Rome made, you know, uh, the church, the official, uh, Christianity, the official religion. Yeah. It became Roman Catholic church. Mm -hmm. So just a little church background there. It was after that when the church became institutionalized political that the Reformation took place, starting with, you know, the, the, the monk uh, slash priest, Martin Luther. Yeah. Who wanted to just say, hey, let's go back to scriptures. Like, mm. let's be the people of God. Like the scriptures teaches us that we should live by faith and yeah. that salvation is free. Mm -hmm. We're God's people regardless. So after that, uh, denominations came into play because of the separation between, you know, the, the Catholic Church and what they called the Protestant Church at that point. Because they're like, you're protesting against the Catholic yeah. Church. So from there... Uh, people begin to now have access to the Bible. And once we begin to have access to the Bible, people begin to have certain convictions about certain doctrines, certain theology. And that's where you got denominations from. So we started with Martin Luther. You got the Lutheran church, yeah. right? And then there was an emphasis on baptism. You got the Baptist church, you know? Uh, and then you you can keep going. Like, And then later on with the, with the Wesleyan movement, with John Wesley, you got the Wesleyan church okay. and the Nazarene church and the Presbyterian church. So each one was based on certain doctrines that people felt very strongly about mm -hmm. and that a group of people start meeting and then you got a denomination. So now we're up, we're up to thousands of denominations. Mm -hmm. So I'm giving a long <laughs> answer church here, but, but I want to give a little history, yeah, context. Yeah. So when someone says, we, where are we? First of all, we love Jesus. That's right. We love his word. That's right. So if you, 
I, I don't like categories, but if you were to put us in a category, we'd probably be what, what's called a charismatic church. Mm. Why? Again, <laughs> the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the word charisma means gifts, mm -hmm. right? We believe in the move of the Holy Spirit and right. we believe in that. And the book of Acts is the birth of the church That's through right. the Holy Spirit. That's right. And so because we put a lot of emphasis on, on putting uh, the Holy Spirit first and foremost in our lives, us, he is working in us. So we would say we probably are a charismatic church because we emphasize a lot of, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We do believe that all those gifts are still prevalent and still yeah. real, and that the Holy Spirit is still very, very much alive and active yeah. in our midst. That's right. But I'm not a fan of categories, but that's the category I think we would put in. Yeah. And when he's preaching, we preach back. We say, hey man, you better preach, preacher. <laughs> yeah, a quiet church is a dead, dead church. church. Quiet in this Baptist church. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm reading the book of Malachi, and in chapter 3, verse 10, it's about tithing, and it says, put me to the test. I thought we should never test God. Yeah, what's interesting, um, we should never test God, but Malachi, that's God himself speaking, specifically, though, about the, the power of giving, mm -hmm. right? That God was like, listen, you can never outgive me, mm -hmm. right? So you can test me on this, that I will always provide, that I will always make a way for you. You know, so that's the only time in scriptures that God ever said, go ahead, test, test me, me. Yeah. and see if I'm not, I'm not going to be faithful to you. Yeah. You know, so God was speaking specifically to his people at that time saying like, hey, listen, when it comes to this, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I will provide, but right. you, you, you have to go ahead and, and, and put, put, put that to the test and yeah. see if I'm not going to come through uh -huh. for you. So yeah, that was God himself yeah. test, uh, challenging us to test him. Yeah. You know, um, and as a giver, my entire life, uh, I, I echo what David said in one of his Psalms. He says, I've been young and old. I've never seen righteous beg for bread. Because when you put in God first, God will always take care of you. Look, we got don't someone from church that. just <laughs> drove by. That's awesome. All right, we're going back to history. I was told the Vatican eliminated 14 books when the Bible was being translated. Is this true? And how did we get 66 books? Yeah, it is true. Those books are called the books of Apocrypha. Mm -hmm. um, so another church lesson here, church history lesson. Um, these books were written between the old and the new, right? There's about a, a, a 400 year silence there between the last Old Testament book and the New Testament book. And this is where these 14 books kind of fall into place. Yeah. Again, with the Reformation, um, they were taking a fresh look at scriptures and try to help people understand like, what, what does God have to say to us? And what books do we have that can help us understand the divine will of God? Mm -hmm. And so when they decided to, to bring together these 66 books, they felt that these 14 books were like, they were semi-historical and semi-inspirational, uh, but they didn't feel that they were uh, spirit-filled where it united the Old and the New Testament. Yeah. Because all those books had to pass the, the, the test of, does it bring unity to the entire scriptures? Yeah. You know, does it, uh, does it bring contradictions? The, is it aligning with the overall theme? And so the church fathers felt that those 14 books didn't fit. But some churches still use it. Some denominations yeah. still use yeah. it. The Catholic Church still uses it. I've read some of them. Um, there's really nothing really wrong with them. But you can see some uh, some discrepancies and some, um, I would say, even some mysticism that doesn't really fit with mm -hmm. the rest of the narrative of the Old or New Testament. Yeah. But I, I feel confident that we have enough books to give us the divine understanding of God's will for our lives. Yeah. You know, that you can go ahead and read those 14 books. They're not going to add much to, I think, to the faith, mm. uh, but they're also not going to take away from the faith. Yeah. Oh, that's good. 
And I think this ties right into our, our next question. Is it all right to go to another church for Bible study? I would say yes and no, because I would want to know the context of that person, right? Mm -hmm. Because a couple of questions that comes to mind. Uh, one is, is your church not giving you everything that you need, that you need to go to another church Bible study? Mm -hmm. But number two is, as those two churches align in mission mm -hmm. and heart, because we just talked about different denominations, right? Yeah. They emphasize different things. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to align and, and it's not going to pull you away from the church that God has you in, yeah. um, and it's okay. But if it's going to lead to, you know, division, contradictions, then it's like, wow, what was this going to do for yeah. me? You know, and what is it that I'm not getting at the church that I feel God's placed me in mm. to move on? Again, there's times to move on from churches. We've yeah. talked about this. Yeah. yeah. You know, but if God has rooted and grounded you in a particular church, then you need to be with the mission and the heart and the way that that church goes about uh, uh, teaching scriptures, as long as they're not teaching false scriptures, obviously, yeah, yeah. false gospel or, or a false understanding of scriptures. So I would I would ask those questions. You know what I mean? Like, what is the heart behind it? And like, behind every question, there's a heart. There's a why. There's a motive. There's an intention. Yeah. So I, I, I would want to know, like, what is the, the bottom line of why yeah. do we feel the need to to do that? You know, yeah. again, nothing against it, but mm -hmm. what, what is the driving force of it? And does it lead to unity or not? I got you. Got you. Awesome. These are all the questions, but is it okay if I do an unscripted question? Absolutely. So I asked you this a while back and I think it's so relevant right now. What do you wonder? As Pastor Marco, what do you wonder? What, what do I wonder? Uh, where are we going? Honestly, uh, the way things are right now is like things are changing so fast. I'm wondering where is the church in two or three years, five years? Um, and what role do we need to be playing um, in that? You know, again, um, because things are moving so fast, I really believe in the power of the local church. And I just want to make sure that us as God's people are on the cusp of what's coming. I don't know what that is. Yeah. So I wonder about what that is and what role does God wants us to play in, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know. But we've, we're living in a very uncertain times right yeah. now. So are. I just wonder. Where are we going to be in the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, mm. you know, if Jesus doesn't come back and take over? Yeah, we got, we got so much to do still. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I love this. It's awesome stuff. If you, you live in New Bedford, man, get out here. Get out here. Trust Beautiful me. places in New Bedford. Water's cold, but still come out. <laughs> As always, friends, we hope that this episode of Ask Pastor encouraged you, challenged you, and spoke to you wherever you are at in your life right now. If you want to submit a question to us, there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. The first way is by sending an email to info at newlifesouthcoast.com, and you can also send us questions directly on Instagram or Facebook Messenger. The easiest way to send us a question, though, is by downloading our New Life South Coast app. On the app, there is a tab labeled Ask Pastor, and when you tap on it, there is a form right at the top. If you tap on that, it will open the form, and you can fill out your information and send us a question. We love you guys so much, and we'll see you next time.